listening to the podcast Advertising Playbook, your resource to better understand and execute successful podcast ad campaigns. Hello and welcome to the podcast Advertising Playbook. I'm your host, Heather Osgood, and today on the program, I have Ashley Cologne. She is the offline media manager at Eight Sleep. Super excited to chat with Ashley today. Welcome to the program. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to chat. So Ashley, I would say that you are in a unique position because out of a lot of the advertisers in this space, maybe they have worked with a company, but you've actually done podcast ad buying for a few different brands in this space. I'm curious kind of what your journey has been, like what brought you into podcasting and what has kind of kept you here? Yeah, I um, really got started at Organifi. And shout out to Hannah, who has been on the podcast. Yes. My role at the time had gotten very quiet. I like to stay busy and I was just feeling quite bored. She was drowning. So she brought me on and kind of taught me everything that she was doing. And it's one of the few things in life that has naturally clicked for me. And I think that's because podcast advertising is a healthy balance of strategy and intuition that you're exercising day in and day out to make a channel successful, right? So that's where I got my start. And I was there for a bit of time. And then I moved on to a smaller CBD brand. And that is a really interesting, saturated space for podcast advertising. So I think developing a strategy that is a departure from what others are doing in the space is really interesting. And then I saw that Eat Sleep was hiring. And it sparked my interest because I had seen the company probably back in 2019. And I was like, what is this machine next to like someone's bed? And so it was, it aligned very well with what I was doing at the time. And it is a very niche role. I don't think that a lot of companies actually hire someone to really take care of audio partnerships and no one was doing it. So it was a really unique position. And that's how I landed here. So it Sleep is a health and wellness company focused on sleep technology. And Eat Sleep develops technology that helps people sleep better. So mm-hmm. we have the pod and the pod cover. And um, I think that typically people end up purchasing the pod cover because you can just nicely place it on your existing mattress. And it has dual zone temperature control, which is one of the key factors to better sleep. But I think, you know, at the end of the day, we're a very mission-driven company, and that's what is very important. We not only want to sell the products on the growth team, but we want to make sure that they are benefiting the lives of the people that are buying them. And so, you know, that goes for my channel as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And I think what I do love about Eight Sleep is that Obviously, Casper got their start in podcast advertising. I think that they paved the way for a lot of other companies to enter the podcast ad space. Podcast advertising really helped, I think, at least from my vantage point, Casper really grow as an organization. And mm-hmm. I think there there can be those kind of almost jokes in the space about like, yeah, if you're a podcast host, you get a mattress. Like, that's what happened. But that's the thing good. <laughs> that's true. Um, But the thing that's so cool about Eat Sleep is that I know you guys sell mattresses, but like, as you mentioned, the main product that you have is something that you can use on any mattress, which makes it a little bit unique. Um, And that's the case, right? Yes, that is the case. So the pod is the mattress plus the the cover, which is 
where the technology is really and where the sensors are. But you can also just purchase the cover and that is what is placed over your existing mattress. And so I think that even when you look at the cover and purchasing the cover at the price point that it is, it is a high consideration product, which does, you know, you do have to shift your strategy and build your strategy around that and take that into consideration. But it certainly makes it easier. It's an easier on-ramp into the eight sleep ecosystem than buying a mattress because Mm -hmm. a lot of people are not ready to buy a mattress. I think that takes a lot of thinking, a lot of comparing. And it's like a moment in time, right? Like you (laughs) you don't do it every year. So it's unique in that sense. And I think that it's also unique when you're finding loopholes in agreements that hosts have with other brands. Oh, okay. Okay. I love it. Yeah. We have found that, you know, like there may be category exclusivity for mattress Mm -hmm. brands, but they advertise the cover. Right. So that's really nice. Yeah. (laughs) No, that is. Well, and one of the things that you brought up, which I think is a really good place for us to kind of dig in a little bit, is every product is priced differently and your approach should be different. And, you know, I don't know if you can give an example of the average, you know, kind of dollar sales from each of the companies that you've worked with. But my guess is that between Organifi and Soul CBD, that you're probably talking in like maybe the low hundreds in terms mm-hmm. of like a conversion. Yeah. Whereas, I mean, the product you're selling now, I'm sure is even it's multiple hundreds, if not even multiple thousands. So it's a very That's... different consideration. Tell us how you plan the marketing, knowing that there is that difference there. And how are you making different choices in terms of the types of podcasts that you're selecting? Yeah, I think that in terms of, so I can speak to our testing strategy and how that differs from brands where you would typically see a lower AOV. And I think that the way that I see it, at Organifi, we would test four episodes across a month typically. Mm-hmm. And at Eight Sleep, we test six episodes across three months. So it's not that it's a lot more exposure. It's that it is flighted very differently so that they're hearing us on a different cadence because of the way that podcasts are consumed. I think also, you know, your talking points are adjusted as well. But I, I think that what is the biggest difference is the actual strategy and forming your target. So you may adjust your benchmarks each month. And what is your key lever for unlocking budget at Organifi versus Eight Sleep may look different because of the price point and because of that um, Mm -hmm. average order volume. Mm -hmm. And in terms of finding shows that we want to test at Eight Sleep, and I felt the same at Organifi, we were very focused on, and I believe Hannah still is very focused on like nourishing relationships and finding quality relationships that are going to be long-term rather than testing a bunch of partners and bringing on a bunch of partners month after month. And it's very similar to Eight Sleep, but I, I do focus heavily on if it's not contextually like hyper relevant, then it needs to be a pretty large show in order to be successful because, you know, you're going to max out at, at how many listeners you are reaching on a smaller podcast. But if they're going there, to learn about biohacking. They're going there to learn about sleep or the habits that are going to improve their quality of life. They're way more engaged and they're way more likely to want to learn about eight sleep, hear about it, actually visit the site and return Mm -hmm. versus something that is 
contextually relevant. And I think that it works for some brands, right? Like, but that's the reason why we're not in the comedy space right now or the sports space necessarily. We're, what really works for us is biohacking, fitness, very like tight knit communities like CrossFit, right? Medical even, because people are listening to the content with the intention of improving their recovery, improving their sleep, improving their quality of life. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And so we really do see that that is reflected in the results as well. Excellent. So I am curious, I know from at least our experience at Trinative Media that we've had a pretty large influx of sleep shows. So I think (laughs) Sleep With Me was probably one of the first sleep shows that I remember seeing. And I know, you know, that he's been very successful with his show. I know he's had you know, tons of downloads. He's had lots of advertisers. Mm-hmm. I think that during the pandemic, when stress levels were higher, I think there was just more of that kind of natural gravitation toward, you know, sleep is difficult when you're stressed. Let's create these sleep shows. But I think one of the things that I find really fascinating is that advertisers do not seem to gravitate toward those shows. And from my vantage point, I think, well, gosh, you know, um, when I've, you know, heard studies that information you consume right before you go to bed is going to stick in your brain and, you know, you're going to be able to regurgitate it more. So I think, okay, so if I'm getting ready to go to sleep and I push play on my podcast, obviously it needs to be a pre-roll ad. I hear this pre-roll ad for a product that's very contextually relevant then I go to sleep and it's in my brain. Like It seems to me like those shows, number one, would work really well. But then number two, they also seem like they would be a natural fit for a lot of different products, especially one like Eight Sleep. And yet I still don't really see advertisers gravitating toward them. And in fact, in a lot of instances, I feel like advertisers are like, oh, I don't know. Like It feels like people don't really want that kind of stuff. Like They're going there to try to fall asleep. They don't want ads. So I'm just curious what your thoughts are about those types of shows, because I would guess you probably have encountered quite a few of them. Yes, we actually ran our first test with a show focused on sleep. And it's been interesting. And I think like going into it, I had the expectation that it would be more of a brand awareness play than than direct response. And typically what we're looking for is direct response. But I do think that it's interesting to think of the consumer behavior, right? When you're going to bed and I'm like listening to a sleep sound, I'm probably like, I'm probably skipping that ad mm-hmm. because like, I just want to hear the sleep sound mm-hmm. <laughs> and I want to fall asleep. Whereas if you're driving and you're listening to a comedy show or you're listening to Tim Ferriss, you may not be skipping the ad because you're driving. And so mm-hmm. unconsciously you're engaging with the content and you're hearing it. And you're actually like, you're absorbing it in a very different way. But I also think that, I think that it's important to get creative with the strategy there because it is so different than any other show that you would test or an interview format. It's really important to be able and have the flexibility from the host to test different ad formats, Um, whether that be your standard talking points or like a story that you're telling. I think the storytelling and the copy in general is what is going to move the needle there. I also think you might want to maximize exposure and flight the test differently, Mm -hmm. which is something that we haven't tested. And maybe that's something that we think about going into the new year 
it is an untouched space, right? And if we can make it work, we can unlock something that I think a lot of other marketers in the space just aren't doing yet. Yeah, I totally agree. So you talked about getting thoughtful with the ad format, essentially, which really translates into what kind of talking points and instructions are you giving to this host over maybe another? I'm curious in your overall strategy, does that play a big role in creating successful campaigns? Are you looking to give different talking points to different types of shows? How do you approach that? Actually, we give, I typically have two versions of talking points and there's a very slight difference in them. One that speaks to a more fitness focused audience and one that speaks to a more medical biohacking. And as we test into more unique categories, that will probably change. But the way that I've ran it is I really give them the same talking points. And I say, this is to be used as a loose guide. You have the product. I'll probably get a couple of them after this looking for a mattress. But <laughs> but yeah, so, you know, you use that as a guide and then I'll approve the copy. Mm -hmm. But I really want it to feel authentic. I don't want it to be a script. I don't want it to be run like a script. The CTA, I want it to feel authentic as well. But obviously, you're directing to your custom landing page. But I think like what's really unique, and it's, it's not the talking points, but it's actually the way that we structure our partnerships when we can. I think there are bigger guys in the space that you're just buying audio inventory and you don't have any flexibility outside of that. Mm -hmm. um, but with our smaller partners that have ended up being long term, the reason why they've worked and have been on board for a while is because they've offered flexibility in adjusting the deliverables and adjusting the strategy to optimize performance. And that's really what I think sets our strategy apart from maybe others is that we take a more integrated approach. Mm -hmm. And the reason for that is we want to touch as many channels as we possibly can and then review the performance and understand what was the most impactful. And if it's not podcast or if it's not an email newsletter, let's adjust the strategy going into our retest period and say, let's do one out a month, two tweets and one email and see what that does for performance. Because if that's all it takes to really optimize, that's an easy fix. Mm -hmm. I think it gets a little bit more confusing when you've tried everything, right? And it's just not working. And then you know there's really just not a market within the audience at that time. Mm -hmm. But being able to understand where traffic is coming from, where sales are coming from, and understanding what is impacting a boost or a dip in performance is what allows you to optimize really well and quickly. Yeah, absolutely. So when you look at campaigns I know you mentioned uh, that you're, you know, maybe doing a social post or maybe getting in a newsletter or an email and you're getting an ad in the podcast. How many of these integrated campaigns are you doing? And do you see that as being a really important part of planning as opposed to I'm just going to run podcast ads? Are you really looking for shows where you can run the podcast ads as well as have other integrations? They definitely take priority for me. Um, so I definitely find that if you are more nimble and you're willing to work together, I'm more likely to want to invest in that show. But there are a ton of partners and there are a ton of media partners that I've worked with for quite some time that only offer audio and they do well. Right. But I think that I think what makes podcast advertising unique is the ability to establish 
intimate relationships that are real and, you know, aren't digital. Mm -hmm. And so it's really nice to be able to work together in such a fashion. And I think, you know, being able to be transparent with the hosts, I'm transparent with all of my hosts when they ask for performance, right? I will provide all of the data that I possibly can because I feel that it is very valuable. Mm-hmm. If I'm investing my time in providing that information, then you're going to invest your time in making the campaign successful. And you really do see that there is a difference in success when you do invest that time in a partner and they do value that. Yeah, I totally agree. So when you are evaluating the relationship, as you mentioned, really a lot of what you're doing is direct response. So you're looking for, you know, specific conversions. Do you listen to every single ad read that your hosts are doing? And then when you listen to them, are you giving a lot of feedback? I know, I mean, you guys advertise on many, many shows. And obviously, as you've just mentioned, not just podcasts, but other forms as well. I mean, that's probably a full-time job just in itself of reviewing ads. But I do think that there's a lot to be said for a quality ad read and its ability to convert or a bad one not to convert. Mm -hmm. So what is your approach with kind of just looking at the ads and evaluating them? Well, I'm a one woman show over here. And so, as you know, a lot of it is manual and it Mm -hmm. takes a lot of time, not only managing the relationships, but as you say, like ensuring that the media is being executed and delivered as agreed upon. And so we need a tool. So we've used Magellan since I've come on board and we used Magellan at Organifi. I've really brought it on board everywhere I've been because I Mm -hmm. think that little Magellan plug, I think that it's super valuable for discovery and just the air check system and also competitive data. But I do try to listen to Mm -hmm. at least all of the ads once per month because typically they're going to run the same talking points for the two ads that are slated for that month. And if I see anything that is outdated, because we do provide different talking points for competitive sale periods, if that's outdated, then obviously I flag that. It's it's a new partner that we're testing and it's very scripted and it's reading the points. I will provide that feedback. If there's something that doesn't align with the brand, right? Like we don't want to be called a mattress. So I'll plug that um, and make sure that, it, you know, it's aligning with the brand, it's aligning with the guidelines. But for the most part, because we've seeded the product, the hosts are pretty good about speaking to their experience in a very authentic way. And so I don't have to do it too much, but there are times where ads are outdated and they're speaking to like Memorial Day savings in October. So, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know. And, you know, that's a whole nother conversation, but you do need to flag things like that. And I do think that there, like you said, there is a lot of value in the way an ad is read. And I really see that the key difference there is how authentic and natural the ad read is read. But I also think for the people that are super successful, they relate it to their content. So they make it hyper relevant to the guest Mm -hmm. or to what the episode is about. And they're open to tailoring the ad read versus the partners that we get no flexibility from. It's a little bit more difficult to see consistent high performance. Yeah. So I know that, you know, really a lot of what you've been referring to are ads that, you know, are run in a baked in or embedded fashion. 
So it sounds like you have run a lot in that, you know, kind of arena. Have you been able to create dynamically inserted host red campaigns that have been successful? I have not cracked that code yet for HSleep. Then again, I joined a year ago and I joined because the channel was scaling and it was scaling at, you know, a pace in which they needed someone to manage it and know what they were doing. So it was kind of like, let's scale this efficiently and see if it actually works as we test more. Mm-hmm. So let's test, let's be a little bit safe about it. And I think going into 2023, that's certainly something that is on my mind and is on my to-do list is to really try to crack that code, figure out how to make it work. I've done a little bit of testing this year. It hasn't worked. And again, I think that may be because we are a high consideration product and Mm -hmm. it might be because of the targets that we've set for all of our partners and the key levers that we're looking for to unlock another test, more budget, whatever it may be. And that is different from other brands and what their strategy looks like. So I am looking to get a little bit riskier next year um, in terms of testing more dynamically, but also testing more unique categories that are outside of what really makes sense Mm -hmm. for us, but could still, you know, there's still a market within that audience. I think that if other brands that are similar to us or adjacent are making something work, I'm usually curious about like why and why haven't we? And I try to dig into that and figure it out myself. Um, And I think with more budget and a little bit more room to test, we can probably figure it out. Yeah, absolutely. I think that you're in such a unique space because obviously everybody needs a mattress, but you're not really selling mattresses, like you said. I mean, really, you're you're selling good sleep. And so I think mm-hmm. that that's probably why you have succeeded so well within that kind of biohacking space, right? You need to reach people who want to invest in good sleep. I will say the older I have gotten, And the more conscientious I am just as a human being, the more my sleep personally is so much more important to me. I moved to Florida recently Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, (laughs) it's hot a lot at night. And I know that that does affect your sleep, right? So like as I'm listening to you talk about this, I'm thinking, hmm, maybe that would be a good thing. So I do think that part of what you have to do in reaching the target audience is figure out who exactly is going to purchase your product. And it sounds to me like you've been able to identify those kind of easy wins. But the reality is, is that there are these adjacent categories. And I think that one of the things that I see advertisers do a lot is that they do just get so matchy-matchy. And, you know, like one of my friends owns a marketing company and I've been talking to her about podcasting for years and she's got this company that delivers a certain food product. And she's like, I want to be on cooking shows. And I was like, well, you know, I don't really think you necessarily need cooking shows. I mean, yeah, I'm not saying that it wouldn't be good to be on those like or like a foodie show would probably be good. But everybody eats and we've got all these meal delivery kits that work really well on a variety of different podcasts. So I do really think that. Yes, like targeting that specific, I know this person's going to purchase my product is a good strategy. But I also think that trying to get those adjacent audiences is really important. And it sounds like that's kind of what you're wanting to work on. Yeah. And I think, you know, that that really is dependent on the budget that you're working with. Absolutely. I, I believe a pretty capital intensive space. And so the more budget that you have, the more the more risk you can get. I think that we've been very calculated this year. And 
we've tested very intelligently. But I think next year we have a little bit more room to get creative and mm-hmm. figure out what we can unlock. Like you said, I think this year we've played it very matchy matchy. And it's hard to get out of actually that kind of like thought yes. in my brain, right? And be able to take those risks and assess them properly. Because again, it's, it is strategy and intuition. And sometimes your intuition is just off, right? And you're like, I know this is going to work. And it just does not. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, and then you try to optimize and it still doesn't work. And it leaves you with a bunch of question marks, right? And you're playing the matchy-matchy game. So it's pretty interesting, right? And like what causes those failures when you're, mm-hmm. even when you're playing safe. And that's why I think testing outside of the box too. It's like, you're running the same risk. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So when you think about putting a strategy together, do you feel like there's a certain budget that makes sense? We work directly with advertisers at True Native Media, and sometimes we'll have these first-time podcast advertisers come to us. I mean, we've got them all over the gamut, right? Like people will email us and be like, I have a $500 budget. What can you do? And we're like, nothing, you know, (laughs) buy something else. But then you get people who are like, well, I've got maybe between five and 10,000. And it's not that like, like that, that's a decent buy, you know, especially on smaller shows. But a lot of times it still isn't quite enough to move the needle enough. And I think one of the things I really am curious about for, you know, for our conversation today as well is. I really recommend that advertisers think, especially for their first campaign, that one of the big goals isn't just results, but it's learning, right? It's like Mm -hmm. discovering like what worked, what didn't work, you know, why did this show perform? And like, how was the audience perhaps different? Was the age group different? Was the location Mm -hmm. of the listener different? How different was the content? How different was the ad read, right? As opposed to this show where, like you said, like maybe your intuition says, oh, this should be a slam dunk, but it didn't succeed. So I feel like there's a lot of learning, but that does come at a price, right? And there mm-hmm. there needs to be a certain investment level for you to actually get that learning. Right. I'm curious where you feel like those levels are. How much should a new advertiser in this space actually spend? Again, it depends on the results that you're looking for. It depends on how many advertisers you're trying to bring on. When I built a portfolio of shows from essentially scratch, I think I had a budget of 20K. Mm-hmm. The problem is, is that you need to have an incremental spend month over month, right? You need to unlock spend when tests are performing well. So mm-hmm. if you say this performs well, we're going to keep them on board. You still need incremental spend the next month. You can't have this static budget. That's how I look at it, right? Because then you cap out and you need to keep testing in order to learn. Like you said, I think like in the early phases, understanding what works for your channel and for your product is the most important because then in the long run, when you have a $200,000 budget, you know how to take calculated risks. You know where to put that money because you've learned so much about your brand and the typical audience, right? So in the early stages, I agree. It's a lot of learning. When I'm bringing on like a new media partner, if I were to go to True Native, I think when we've worked together, I never really give a budget, right? Mm -hmm. For like what I want a campaign to look like. I just say like, show me everything that fits, that you Mm -hmm. think fits because you could look at my product and you can see white space that I don't see. And you can say, this would really work 
And you know the audience better than I do. You know other advertisers better than I do, et cetera. And I think that's the best way to approach it. And then you can get picky with how much you actually want to spend. But you kind of have, I think, at a starting point, if we decided to run against all of these shows, we're spending 50K. We want to spend closer to 30. Let's knock off five of those, right? But at least you're getting the agency's recommendations, right? Mm -hmm. And what would be best for you. And then you can test those the next month, right? Mm -hmm. The five that you didn't test and you learn about those. But I think approaching it from like saying I have $5,000 budget, it doesn't really give me a lot of room to understand like the options that we have. Right. Right. I totally agree. I love what you're saying. And I do think that I've heard it many times that you need an incremental spend, but I think you are spot on because the concept should be You know, I always think about it as, let's say, we're going to pick five to 10 shows, right? We're going to run on those for the first campaign. We're going to see which shows performed and which ones didn't. The ones that performed, Mm -hmm. we're going to keep them. We're going to throw out the ones that didn't, and then we're going to add in new shows. Mm -hmm. And then we're going to just keep repeating that over and over and over until you know, man, this show really performs for me. And this group of shows really perform for me. Right. But you do have to have that incremental budget to keep the foundation, keep the pieces that are working and add to it. Mm-hmm. And if you're if you're trying to have that static budget where you're spending the exact same amount every month, you're really probably not going to move as quickly. So if somebody is looking to scale a podcast ad campaign or a podcast ad strategy, which I think that there are a lot of advertisers out there in the space where like, hey, I'm looking for a new channel. What I've been doing is either tired or old, or I just want a new channel that's going to perform for me. Podcasts can do that, but you do have to approach it in a pretty systematic way. And you really can't just say, I'm going to spend $5,000 and see what happens. Or Mm -hmm. you can't really say, I'm just going to advertise on these two podcasts and see if it works. Because chances are, it's probably not going to work, right? Like the chances that you would pick the two podcasts out of the 5 million out there that are going to be top performers for you on your first try running a couple of ads is almost totally impossible. (laughs) Right, right. And when you do have that tight budget, again, you're working with smaller shows and it's harder to find those small shows that have a really incredible impact on the response, right? And the revenue. It takes a lot of testing with small shows to see what works. And so you can't advertise Tim Ferriss with that budget, who's always going to hit it out of, he's always going to, you know, hit a home run. But with that $5,000, you're probably working with one small show or two small shows, right? And again, you made a really good point. Statistically, your chances are very low. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, for sure. I am curious if you have an answer to how small is too small. Is there like a certain, like, do you feel like you've got a tipping point where like, if they're less than X number of downloads per episode, I just am not even really interested. Yeah, I don't think that I go below, like I wouldn't go below 30. And even if I was to test that 40 to 60 range or even like 40 to 100 range, right? I think actually 40 to 60 makes a lot of sense. That's like pretty small for us. There's that relevance that is key to me feeling comfortable with that test. Mm -hmm. Um, And so Mm -hmm. again, probably it might be me being too matchy-matchy. And as we have more budget to test outside of that, I may find that I'm wrong about it. But typically, 
if it's not very relevant, it's going to be a best. But if it is very relevant, it can be very highly successful. Mm-hmm. And we do have a couple of partners that started at 40 to 60K. They've grown now, but they have been consistent top performers because one, they're flexible. They work with us really closely. And you do have that access to the hosts that you don't generally have when they're really large. Mm-hmm. Are really right, I'm large guessing partners. you don't talk to Tim Ferriss. <laughs> no. <laughs> <laughs> The, his representation is lovely and they're amazing to work with, but having a middleman of any sort is, it's still a roadblock to some degree versus having direct access to the host, like having someone's phone number, jumping on a call with them, really diving into the details and the data. And that is what has made those shows successful. So I'm honestly even keen to say that I wouldn't even say there's a number. I think there's actually like a, uh, uh, maybe format's the right word, or it's actually the format of the relationship or mm-hmm. or the structure of the relationship, right? Mm-hmm. That is more important to me than even the numbers. Yeah, I do think that I love that response. And I also feel like it's so important for smaller podcasts to realize, though, too, that if your audience is too small, it just doesn't move the needle. And I think that that's, that's one of the hard parts for independent content creators, because you know, I mean, very few podcasts get to the level of 30 to 40 to 60,000 downloads an episode, right? Like it's not all that common. Mm-hmm. And I know that sometimes it's difficult for the smaller shows because they're like, yeah, but my audience is so engaged and like they're going to buy it. But right. what I always try to explain is it's not that they're not going to buy But if you're talking to 100 people and two of them buy, that could be a really great conversion rate, but it's still only two people. Or you're talking to 100 people and nobody buys because you just didn't talk to enough people. Numbers really are important and the size of the audience really does matter to move the needle, I think. Mm -hmm. So those are important things. I would definitely say no less than 30K. And that's really on the low side. Um, And it would have to be, I think, very unique and special for us to feel confident Mm -hmm. about the success. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So I know that there's been a lot of talk in the industry about CPMs. I feel like we've talked about it more recently. And I think that it could be, you know, we're recording this in at the end of October of 2022. And I you know, there's this like kind of looming recession, like what's going to happen? And I guess I'm just kind of curious, do you feel as a company that you're being maybe more cautious about how you're spending? Are you scrutinizing CPMs more closely than you had? Um, Any feedback you can give us on that? Yeah, I definitely think we're looking more closely at CPMs and we're definitely getting, we're definitely more calculated about the tests that we decide to invest in and where we allocate budget. And so it's really important that we are scaling efficiently. Mm -hmm. But am I scrutinizing the CPMs more closely? Maybe. And maybe that's because I feel that the space is becoming like the wild, wild west. And I think that people are trying to pull like wool over our eyes in terms of like the actual advertisers. And if you don't know the space or you haven't been in the space, you're trying to unlock a channel, you don't have the knowledge to be like, this doesn't make sense. Mm -hmm. And so in that sense, I have looked more closely at it. I think that there are games being played that are really interesting in terms of like, you know, jacking up downloads as well. And so I think in that way, I ask for 
more data, I ask to understand like, is that monthly or is that a 90 day window? Like really what is the look back period? And is there any way that you can back that number up so that we can calculate on our own, mm -hmm. right? And be mm -hmm. able to negotiate properly. But because a lot of our partners are long-term um, that we've been working with for a while, they're bigger guys, right? So there's really not a lot of room for negotiation there. Mm -hmm. You're like, you work, you're a consistent top performer. I can't lose you. Those people we don't touch. But then the other side of it is media partners that we've worked with for a few years where I, f I feel that I trust them. And the reason being is like, I am very transparent about the performance of the shows. So I will say like, this show has knocked it out of the park. And I know that I'm getting a really great rate because of the relationship. But I also think that in me being transparent, we're building this mutual level of trust for one mm -hmm. another. And so going into a new year, I do trust them to give me a favorable rate, give me favorable inventory. And then with the other partners, it's a bit different because it's a more integrated approach. So we don't even necessarily look at CPMs. We do look at downloads to understand, mm -hmm. like, what do I want to be paying for this partnership package? But we're not really looking at a CPM because mm -hmm. we're, we're advertising across several right. channels. Right, right, right. Yeah, I think that makes total that sense. Way, like, you actually get a lot more value when you're yes. doing it that way, right? And I think that's why we've kind of, We've leaned that way this year. And I think as we start testing, obviously, more dynamically or more unique categories, it'll probably shift and become very focused on audio. Yeah. Yeah. No, I think that that makes that makes total sense. Now, how do you track results? I'm presuming you're using unique URLs and you're using promo codes and things like that. But are you using attribution software? What does result tracking look like for you? Yeah, we actually don't use like pixel-based attribution at all. It's all manual, but our attribution logic essentially pulls the URL, the code, and a how did you hear about us survey. Mm -hmm. And so we're able to attribute the responses to the specific partner in a dashboard. And those that don't specify the actual partner, it's still attributed to the channel, but not on the partner level. Mm -hmm. uh, so we're just able, I mean, really our key lever and what we look at is CAC and ROAS. Mm -hmm. And those are the two metrics that I use to understand whether or not, I think that I look at CAC on a more channel level and on an individual partner level, I'm looking at ROAS as the key lever to unlock spend and to unlock maybe another test period or a long-term partnership. Excellent. Excellent. So if you were talking to somebody and they were interested in getting into the advertising space and podcasting and you were giving them a bit of advice, what are some things that you would recommend that new advertisers really think about before entering into podcast advertising? Yeah, I would definitely think about one, storytelling. What is the story that you want to tell? How are you going to tell that story in, in 60 seconds? Because that is going to be extremely impactful in terms of the success of the channel, right? And the success of the shows that you test. But also you're going to need a discovery tool of some sort. And it doesn't have to be a Magellan that, you know, is quite an investment, but it could be something smaller. What's that small one? Pod notes? I don't know what I'm trying to think of. So I haven't used Pod it. Pod Chaser? No, it's 
It's been around for a while, but it's actually great. It gives you a direct email address to the host. Oh, really? It's fabulous. And I would say for people that are just getting into the space, there are a lot of smaller guys on there. You have the direct contacts and Mm -hmm. you can just do mass outreach. And Mm -hmm. so I think you need a discovery tool. I think you need to understand how you're going to tell your story. And I think that I actually do think a survey might be really important at the start. And I would say there's a lot of things also custom landing pages. Mm -hmm. I totally agree. You need to be able to direct your audience to a unique landing page. We ran a blind case study and we saw 500% lift in ROAS for the partners with a unique LP versus just a vanity. And so this is your sign. If you're not using unique landing pages, it can be incredible for the success of your channel. And I think that even smaller uh, brands that are just getting into the space should really think about that. And I think that they should also have some sort of survey to understand what is that lift, right? And Mm -hmm. uh, what difference is podcast making in terms of the response, the traffic, et cetera. Mm -hmm. And when you say survey, you mean for uh, your buyers? So when your customers come in, giving them a survey? Yeah, post-purchase. Yeah, yeah, perfect. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Ashley. I really appreciate you being on the show today. You've just given a ton of great information and I really appreciate it. If people want to connect with you, where is a good place for them to reach you? Yeah, I mean, I'm on LinkedIn and that's probably the best place. Ashley Cologne, Ain't Sleep. You can probably find me in their people section. But yeah, connect with me anywhere. Excellent. Excellent. Well, thank you so much for being on the show. Perfect. Thank you so much. It was so lovely and a lot easier than I was expecting. Thank you so much, Heather. Thank you for listening to the Podcast Advertising Playbook, your source to a better understanding of the podcast advertising industry. 